but the 31st also holds for us as believers uh, a unique um, uh, a unique place as well. And that's because in 1517, on October 31st, 1517, Martin Luther's 95 Theses began to circulate. If you're not familiar with that, we're going to talk about that next week on the 31st. I'll share some of the history behind this. But if you've heard about the term the Protestant Reformation, that's all this, all this traces back. This, what they call the spark that started the Reformation happened uh, on October 31st, 1517. And uh, we'll, be talking some, let's say, we'll be talking some more about that. Um, but one of the most frustrating things for Martin Luther and other guys who were trying to bring Reformation to the Catholic Church at that time, one of the issues was is that there was the idea in the church that only a certain number of people can understand the Bible. The, the, the just normal, average Joe people cannot understand God's Word. In fact, the only Bible that they used was a Latin Bible. How many of y'all know Latin? Same number as the first service, okay? And so for them, for them, it was an issue, right? So you had to be learned. You had to be able to at least read and understand Latin to be able to read the Bible. And because of the Reformation, uh, a German Bible was printed. It was printed in everyday German so that everyday believers could understand God's Word. And then later, English Bible, so that English-speaking people who weren't, didn't know Latin could still read God's Word and He could speak directly to them. And so I believe, just as this was needed in 1517, it's needed today. Because there's the idea among a lot of people, and maybe some of you hold this idea, that me and Kenny, as pastors, have some sort of deeper connection to God that helps us understand the Bible more than you. Kenny's wife laughed at that. I don't even know what that was. <laughs> no, but I, I mean, you, you might not ever word it that way, but I know some of you think that. That because I'm a pastor, I, I have a better understanding or something. That's not the case. You can understand God's word as much as Billy Graham did. Right? Like you can, you can have a healthy understanding of God's word. And so today, what we're going to be, what we're going to be talking about, I want to show you the same thing that reformers were trying to show in 1517, which is that God's word is understandable. We've been walking through this series called The Book, and this is part number three. Okay, so part one was God's word is needed, God's word is, uh, is uh, enough, and now we're talking about that God's word is understandable. So here's what we're going to do. I'm going to show you from scripture how God's word, I believe God's word attests of itself that it's understandable, and then... At the end, we're going to come back and talk about some of the some of the uh, practical applications for that, okay? So it's going to be fun. Let's do this. Uh, I'm going to read verses 8 through 11 of Isaiah 55. The, Lord, the word of the Lord says this. For my thoughts are not your thoughts, and your ways are not my ways. This is the Lord's declaration. For as heaven is higher than earth, so my ways are higher than your ways, and my thoughts than your thoughts. For just as rain and snow fall from heaven and do not return there without saturating the earth and making it germinate and sprout, providing seed to sow and food to eat, so my word that comes from my, my, my so my word that comes from my mouth will not return to me empty, but it will accomplish what I please and will prosper in what I send it to do. Let me pray. Father, we thank you, God. Um, God, that this isn't just the, what I just read. It, it's not words, um, God, just beautifully written words, but God, it's truth. And uh, God, today as we talk about that your word is understandable, God, I pray that, um, that you would stir the Holy Spirit within us who have believed um, to understand this. And God, for those that have yet to trust in Jesus as their Savior, God, that, um, that you would bring illumination to their hearts and minds today of the gospel. And Father, I pray that today, 
um, you would just uh, speak to us in this moment. Teach us to know you and be with us. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Amen. So God makes it clear at the very beginning of the passage um, that there is a gap between us and him. There is an intellectual, spiritual, physical gap between us and God. And so if you're a note taker, um, we'll start there, okay? Number one is this, man cannot understand God. Man cannot understand God. All right, verse 9, he says, For as heaven is higher than the earth, so my ways are higher than your ways, my thoughts and your thoughts. What that mean? We talked about that two weeks ago. God is so far above where we are in every single way. And so uh, if you were to do a quick Google search of what's the Hebrew word for skies, for sky, you know what you get? The same Hebrew word as the word heaven. Because in Hebrew, there is no heaven and sky. It's the same word, okay? And on earth, when you see the word earth, okay, just to, and again, when we read the Bible, we've got to read in context, right? When we don't, don't think of the globe that we live on. It's not a capital E, earth. You see that? When he says, as far as the sky is above the earth, right? He didn't understand that. He didn't understand. So the same, the, the word for earth is the same word as dirt or land. Okay, so when Isaiah is working with a knowledge um, that a little different scientific knowledge than us, but when he says that for as high as the heaven is higher than the earth, we could also read that as high as the skies are above the land. Okay, so why would he say that? Why would he? Why would? Why would this be uh, something that he would use? Because it's the biggest gap he can think of. For the, for the ancient Hebrew, he could have said, as high as the temple mount is above the city. That would be significant. Or he could have said, just to play into Moses' day, he could have said, as high as Mount Sinai is over the surrounding valley. He didn't. He chose sky and land because to him and to the ancient Hebrews, there is no bigger gap than that. And so what does that mean? That means that God, think of the biggest gap, think of the biggest yardstick, the biggest tape measure, whatever distance for us, <laughs> Neptune, Pluto, like I don't know what, uh, Pluto's not a planet anymore. But anyway, whatever the distance, think of the biggest distance. That's what Isaiah's trying to convey. Isaiah's trying to convey, that, does that bother some of y'all that grew up thinking Pluto was a planet and now they just take that away and no longer it's not a planet? Anyway, and now there's more oceans there's another ocean. They just renamed part of an ocean. But anyway, it didn't like grow. Anyway, y'all, I can't even teach my kids anything. Where were we? Why are y'all? Okay. So here we are. So when Isaiah says that as high as the sky is above the land, so God's ways are than your ways, God's thoughts and your thoughts. What Isaiah is trying to get across is that there is, there is no gap that compares to this. We're supposed to be drawn into the idea that God is so much bigger and so much uh, more wise and more intellectual than we could ever imagine. For us, in the analogy that I've used, think of ants and humans. Do ants understand humans? No, they just know our feet, right? It's the only thing they care about. Ants don't understand how humans work. They can't. Ants cannot understand how humans work. In this, and even, even this analogy is bigger than that. That we can't understand how God works. This would have been the biggest measurement he could think of. 
And so that's important for us to recognize. We cannot understand God without help. We talked about this two weeks ago, but God gave us help. Amen. God gave us not only a general idea of who he is through creation, he gave us a specific or special way that we can know him. We can know his character, his desires, his passions, his, 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 uh, his, uh, his desire, his, his goal for all of humanity in his word. And so, with God's help, we can know him. And what we know now is that God's word has a purpose. That's point number two. God's word has a purpose. We see Isaiah talking about that. Isaiah said he takes this, this measuring stick of the skies and the land, and uh, he, he, he plays with that idea. He says, though the skies are infinitely higher than the land, the skies interact with the land. How do the skies interact with the land to an ancient person? It rains, right? Parts of the sky, the heavens, are opened up to an ancient Hebrew, and water pours down, and it, and it touches the ground. Now, I know, as he says, for just as rain and snow fall from heaven and do not return there. And some of y'all are thinking, yes, evaporation, duh, Isaiah, 1700s. Did y'all know that? Evaporation wasn't like thought about and defined until the 1700s. Isn't that funny? Anyway, so Isaiah is not working with the idea of evaporation, but the point is still the same. He says the rain, the rain that falls from heaven does not return there until it accomplishes a purpose. What is the purpose? It saturates the earth, the land, making it germinate and sprout, makes it, making, making plants grow that we need to live. Isaiah's making the point that the rain has an immediate purpose of doing those things. Then he takes it. He says in verse 11, So my word, in the same way, my word that comes from my mouth will not return to me empty, but it will accomplish what I please and will prosper in what I send it to do. You see the analogy? In the same way, the word, which he, the rain, comes from his mouth, which is in the skies, to accomplish what it was sent for to the earth. What was it sent for? To saturate and to grow. To saturate and to bring growth. And we've talked about that purpose the last couple of weeks, that God gives us his word so that we can know him. We cannot know him apart from his word in an intimate way. We need God's word for that. And we also talked about last week that it's sufficient, it's enough for us. But this passage takes it a step further and it says that God says not only that there is a purpose, but that his purpose will be accomplished. And so God didn't just give us the word that we need and make sure that it's enough. He actually gave it to us in a way that we can understand it. God's word can be understood. If you like the notes, there you go. God's word can be understood. But he says, again, he says in verse 11, word that comes from my mouth will not return to me empty, but it will accomplish what I please and will prosper in what I send it to do. God's word is sent to us for a purpose, and that purpose can and will be accomplished. How can the will of God or the will of his word be accomplished if we can't understand it? You see it, right? If God's word was sent so that we would know him, we know we need it, we know it's enough, but if you can't understand it, we're not going to know him. Do you understand? Do you see the mental conversation we're having here? However, God says here in Isaiah 55, my word will accomplish what I've sent it to do, which to this country boy means we can't understand it. We can. 
And so the question on my heart and the question that's on my heart for you, for myself this week and then for you today, is do we believe it? Like, do we believe that God's word literally is understandable? And I know all of us would agree that parts of it are. <laughs> like, what about Leviticus, right? Right? I mean, there's parts that are just strange. There's parts that we argue about between denominations. There's parts that you disagree with, right? Like, there, there are parts. So what about that? Because I, can, I know some of y'all, as I talk about God's word being understandable, you're rolling your eyes. You're not doing it visibly. I can't see you. But I know you're rolling your eyes going, I open God's word. I read it. And then I shut it and go, what was that? Why did, why did they kill everybody? Why did they kill the cows? Why was it important that they killed the cows? Right? Like there are parts in the Bible that are just going to make you do that. But listen, here's the kicker. By saying that God's word is understandable, we are not saying that the Bible will always be easy to understand. Okay? And I may just burst your bubble, but we're going to talk about why that's good. The Bible may not be easy to understand from beginning to end, but we are saying that it is understandable. And before you go, y'all have built a religion around a Bible that is hard to understand. Guys, this thing is 2,000 years old at the earliest. The oldest books in here go back further than that. We're talking about a different era, a different culture, and a different language than we speak. As I said to the first service, that's a trifecta for confusion. We got a lot of work to do when we open the Bible. We can't expect to just understand it. We're going to talk about, I'm getting ahead of myself. Point number four is this. God's word may be hard to understand. But I want to help you see that I'm not just talking about from experience. God's word actually says that it may be hard to understand. I'm going to, get, I'm going to give you a verse today that some of y'all, y'all been looking for this verse. Like y'all been looking for a reason why you get confused when you read the Bible. And I'm fixing to give it to you. You can get this verse tattooed on you, right? Like, this is a great verse for you to have. Some of y'all are going to say, amen, that's my life verse right there. Listen to this, 2 Peter 3, 15 and 16. Regard the patience of our Lord as salvation, just as our dear brother Paul has written to you. So this is Paul who wrote two-thirds of the New Testament, Romans to Philemon. He wrote all those letters. This is what, Paul, this is what Peter, who walked with Jesus, what Peter says about him. He speaks about these things in all of his letters. And there's some things hard to understand in them. That's where he shall say amen. Amen. The untaught and unstable will twist them to their own destruction, as they also do with the rest of the scriptures. What is Peter saying? Yeah, Paul can be hard to understand sometimes. But what Peter does not say is, who can understand him? He doesn't say, I can, nobody can, it's too much, it's too... He simply says it is hard to understand, and that is a significant difference. The absolute truth that God's word is understandable is not diminished by the idea that it takes effort to understand it. You see that? So I want to show you just three reasons why God's word, and we're going to step away from Isaiah 55, we kind of laid the groundwork, I want to show you some other things, this will be a little bit more conversation. Three reasons why God's word can feel impossible to understand when it's really not that way. And this is A through C. 
Okay, for you note taker, OCD type A people. All right, there you go. Yeah, I can't just throw words up here. I've got to have a thing in front of it so you know how to label it. I know you. It is thoughtful while we expect plain. We want God's word to be simple and plain. We want to be able to sit down with five minutes after I put my kids to bed. I want to be able to sit down with five minutes, open up to any passage I want, read it, and want God to change my life through that the next day. That's what we want. This is the way that we live our lives. We want it to be plain, with no thought. If it's God's word, I should just understand it. But is that really a good thing? Because we have books at our house that are really easy to understand. They're made of cardboard. And they're made for preschoolers. Are you guys familiar with the Best Mouse Cookie? Written by Laura Numeroff, Felicia Bond. The Best Mouse Cookie. The Best Mouse Cookie. Mouse has everything he needs to make cookies. He adds flour, salt, and a little music. Mouse thinks baking is easy. Sometimes. The bigger the drop, the louder the plop. Now Mouse needs a little nap. He makes himself comfortable. A little too comfortable. The cookies are burning. Y'all can't see that. Oh, well, Mouse doesn't mind starting over. There's no such thing as too many cookies. But the best cookie is the one you share with a friend. Just ask Mouse. How long did that take me? A minute? Let me ask you something. Is this what we want of God's word? Is this what we want? Do we want God's word to be so dumbed down for us that we can sit down in a, in a, in a one-minute period of time and go, oh, and shut it? I say, God, help us know. I praise God for the parts of the Bible I can't understand. You know why? Because it makes me think. Because God's word was designed to be thought about, not to be felt first. The longest chapter in the whole Bible is Psalm 119 and verse 15 says, I will meditate on your precepts and I will think about your ways. But this is not how we engage with God's word so often. We want a little cardboard version of the Bible that'll fit into our busy or lazy lives. I don't know which it is for me. Most of the time it's because I'm busy. No, that's not true. Some of the time it's because I'm busy. Most of the time it's because I'm lazy. And that's me. I'm not speaking to you. If God applies it to you, you blame him, not me. God's word has always been designed to be studied and not just simply read. 
But this is what we want because we're busy with so many other things. We give our heart to so many other things. And we ask God to fit his word into this tiny little part of our schedule. And we want a pressure cooker version of God's word instead of using notebook, pens, and highlighters. And I'm guilty of this too, church. Your pastor struggles. There are days where this is sometimes all I can handle. Like, I just need this, God, to speak to me today. But we've got to be willing to start slowing down and studying God's word with regularity. Only then will we be able to understand some of these things that are going on. And we're going to need help. We're going to need help from one another. God's word is designed to be read in the context of the local church. That's why online Bible studies are great, but you need to be in God's house with God's people, not necessarily in God's house, but with God's people, studying the Bible together. Because you need to be able to say, I think this means this. Is that crazy? And someone go, yeah, that's crazy. (laughs) I think this is what it means. And you wrestle with it together. But we also need God's help. Psalm 119.27. This is the psalmist again from 119 saying, Help me understand the meaning of your precepts so that I can meditate on your wonders. We need the help of one another, but we need God's help. And that's because, point B, it's a spiritual book, while what we want is physical or intellectual. You see, God's Word makes it clear that it takes spiritual eyes to understand the Bible. We can't just come to God's Word in our own way, with our own schedule and our own thoughts, and just study it our way. We've got to be led by the Spirit as we study and hear God's Word. 1 Corinthians 2, 9-12 through says this. Paul, again, the one that's hard to understand. But as it is written, he quotes Old Testament, what no eye has seen, no ear has heard, no human heart has conceived. God has prepared these things for those who love him. Now God has revealed these things to us by the Spirit. Since the Spirit searches everything, even the depths of God. For who knows a person's thoughts except his own spirit within him? In the same way, no one knows the thoughts of God except the Spirit of God. Now, we have not received the spirit of the world, but the spirit who comes from God, so that we may understand what has been freely given to us by God. God reveals things to us in his word, absolutely, but he reveals those things to us through his word, through the work of the Holy Spirit. Verse 12 says that the spirit who comes from God is given to us so that we may understand what is freely given. Without the Spirit of God, His Word will always be confusing and we will always miss the major movements of God's Word. This is why Jesus would say as He taught, He who has ears, let Him hear. Those of you who can actually understand me because the Spirit of God is at work in your life, hear what I'm saying. That's what Jesus said. And He told a parable and everybody went, hmm? And some of them went, oh their minds were illumined by the script by the spirit so what this means is a difficult conversation we got to have right quick if you never trusted in jesus you'll be able to wrap your mind around some of the intellectual things of god's word you'll be able to grasp the story to a certain degree but the things that bring me as a believer back to the scriptures day after day you can't grasp Because it's the Spirit of God that illumines those things. 
Until you've trusted in Jesus, you don't have the Spirit in you, and you can't understand this. However, huh? However, you can trust in Jesus today. And the Spirit of God will come on you, and you can now open the Scriptures. I'm not going to say it's going to be like, oh, I can now read it all. But there will be things, all the things as you're studying, you're going to go, I've read that a thousand times, and I've never paid attention to that. That's the Spirit of God at work in you. Today you can trust in Jesus Christ as your Savior by turning from your sins and believing that Jesus is the only one who can fix you, the only one who can, can, can oh, I'm going to get to this in a second, but can take the gap away between us and God, the skies and the land. He can bring us back into the presence of God. You've got to be a believer, and we'd love to talk with you about that. So we've got to be willing to think about, think as we read the Bible. we also got to recognize there's a spiritual component that we can't miss, but the last thing, which I don't even know if it's, I can't say it's the most important, but the one that I need you to hear the most is C. It is connected. It's all connected while we often read it disjointed. Okay? One of the keys to understanding God's Word is recognizing is that there is a key theme through the whole thing. Like if you recognize this key theme, then so many of the confusing passages begin to come to light. And here it is. God created mankind to rule and reign with him. You need to recognize that. God created mankind to reign and rule alongside with him. That's what we see with Adam and Eve. God said, have dominion over the earth, over the land. But have dominion. You're in charge. And how do we do with that? Not good. Genesis 3 came along. So instead of now ruling with God over creation, we're now, we're now, uh, Adam and Eve, instead of ruling over creation, what do they do? They listen to creation. <laughs> they listen to a serpent in Genesis 3. Right? So they subvert, they, they allow themselves to be subverted. But we, so we continue to butcher it. And now humans fight to rule over each other. Right? Don't we? Some of you guys are supervisors. And you like it a little bit, don't you? Because there's something in your heart as a supervisor, as a boss or whatever, that God put there. He wants you to rule and reign over creation, but he has not called us to rule and reign over each other and to lord it over one another. Huh? But there's something at the human heart that wants that. We just It's misplaced. Cain and Abel, like the second generation of humans. <laughs> they were there. And, 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 and it messed up. They offered sacrifices to God, and, and in that moment, Cain recognized, I've got to rule over my brother before he rules over me. What does God God comes to Cain, and he knows he's mad, and he says, look, dude, he says, sin is crouching at your door. Now, we read that last night as a family. I'm not saying we have these beautiful moments of Scripture reading as a family. We don't do it near enough. And we definitely don't do it on a Saturday night during the Alabama-Tennessee game. Typically. Has to be straight with you. 
But I'm watching the game, enjoying it. And Daniel looks over at me and says, Daddy, he had his Bible. He said, can we read the Bible? And I'm like, oh, it's a close game at this point, y'all. I'm like, oh, come on. Why can't we do this later? But in that moment, of course, God's like, what you going to do, big boy? Said, Give it here. You know, <laughs> let's read it. In the passage we were ready for was Genesis 4, Cain and Abel's story. And I asked my kids when we got to that part, I said, when, when God says sin is crouching at the door, what do you think of? And they both did this, and I don't know why. And I said, is that an animal? And they said, yeah. And I said, that's exactly what God wants us to see. What Cain needed to recognize is that God had called him to rule over creation, to rule over the animals. Instead, he becomes like one. And the Bible tells us that he strikes his brother down in a field. Sounds like National Geographic to me. Not God's word. But this is what's going on in humanity. God has called us to rule and reign over creation. Instead, we become like it or even listen to it and subvert ourselves underneath it and become a servant of creation. Over and over again, God calls men and women to live here. And we blow it. God said, Abraham, come, be, I'm going to lead you, to, I'm going to give you a nation, I'm going to, or I'm going to make you a nation, I'm going to give you a land, I'm going to give you a people. And the people, the, the rest of the story from Genesis 12 all the way to the end of the Bible really is the story of these people who were just doofuses. And they just continue to make mistakes after mistakes after mistakes. God calls Moses and he says, Moses, lead my people out, I'm going to lead you back to the land of promise. And they get there and what do they do? They blow it. Over and over, while God's given Moses the Ten Commandments on the, ten, the, the mountain, they make, a, they make a, 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 a statue. What is the statue of? A snake. A serpent. Right? We're now, we're now working under creation again. Do you see this? All through the Bible is this constant, constant uh, message that God calls us to live here. God called a man named David to be king over Israel. The kingship. And he also says he, he's, he's my man. There's a connection with God, right? So everything is about this, this kingdom and connection with God. God calls David. And what does David do? He's a doofus too. He got the gene. He got the sinful heart just like everybody else. And he falls from his place of kingship, of ruling and reigning. And he also falls from his connection with God. From the very beginning in Genesis 3, after Adam and Eve sin, what happens? They're removed from the presence of God. They're kicked out of the garden. What happens when Cain kills his brother? God removes him from his presence. So over and over again, we have God calling, his pe calling people to live here, and we blow it, and he says, get out. And he calls us back in, he says, live here, and we blow it, and he says, get out. <laughs> and all through the story, there's this, there's this little echo that keeps ringing All the way back to Genesis 3.15, when God says that one day there's going to be a son of Eve who's going to crush the head of the serpent. We thought it was Moses. It wasn't Moses. We thought it was David. It wasn't David. We thought it was Solomon. It wasn't Solomon. Jesus comes. And he lives the perfect life that we couldn't pull off. He lived perfectly. He ruled and reigned with 
God, not under creation, not with creation, but above creation. He ruled and reigned in the way, and because he ruled and reigned, he had connection with God like you and I can't even imagine because of our sin. And this Jesus, this was the plan. While he was still a young man, he was put to death through crucifixion, which was the most heinous way to die, nailed to a cross to die of suffocation. The Bible teaches us that all the humanity's sin, all the sin of humanity was placed within Christ's body and he died. And in his death, he took the separation, the get out of here that God had said to creation over and over again. Jesus took that on himself and he felt the separation, the loneliness and the brokenness of sin. And he took it for us so that now the gap from skies to land, (laughs) whoops, almost missed can be brought back together. The God who is so high above us that we can't fathom, we can't understand, we can't do any of those things, Christ has brought us back together through his blood. And he not only died for your sins to be taken away and you can be made right with God, he also rose from the dead. God didn't leave him dead. He raised him up on the third day so that just as we are dead in our trespasses and sins, we're separated from God, we don't deserve the presence of God, we can be made new. Christ received new life. You can receive new life. That's the story of God's word. And that new life is not something that starts one day. You recognize the afterlife is a teaching of the Bible, but you know it's a minor teaching of the Bible. The Bible speaks more of believers not enjoying the presence of God one day, but enjoying it here. Enjoying not the kingdom of God one day, but the kingdom of God here. That's what we're called to do, to bring the kingdom of God here to our neighbors, to the nations. Let them hear that Christ died on the cross for their sins, and they too can receive the Spirit of God and can be made alive. That's the story of the Bible. And when you begin to grasp it, even Leviticus makes sense. I promise you. You start reading Leviticus. What's the deal with all these laws? Good night. What were the laws about? The laws were about restoring rule and reign and relationship with God. But we couldn't do that either. I mean, the whole story, as you read the Old Testament and you get to a confusing place, just recognize that that may be what's going on. This story of God calling mankind to live this way. God's word is totally connected because it's his word and he's big enough to connect it. So stop reading it as a disjointed thing. Let's see this theme that runs throughout. I found this quote uh, in an article this week on the attribute of God. And as I was studying, I want to share it with you just because, it, again, it's wor- I, I feel like I'm reading a lot of quotes, but people are better with words than me. So <laughs> here we go. I'm going to share it with you. It's going to take up like four slides. So sorry about that. Clarity is not the same as simplicity. And not all texts are as simple and straightforward as others. Yet in the context of the whole scripture, with greater familiarity with the whole, that's what we're talking about, by comparing the difficult texts with the simpler texts, we can be confident that scripture speaks clearly and that those who come to the Bible with faith in the goodness of God, with humble prayerfulness and a willingness to repent and obey the word he has given us, will come to understand it. It's not the word of God. That's not God speaking that, but I believe it's true because I see it in scripture 
and I've seen it in my own life. If we will come to the Bible with faith in the goodness of God, humble prayerfulness and a willingness to repent and obey what we're reading, I believe we'll understand it. Will it happen like that? No, not all the time. We've got to study. And so if that just ticks you off, <laughs> that God wouldn't speak more clearly than that, uh, I'm sorry. Sally has. Sally has. And I'd invite you to come back Wednesday night. Because this Wednesday night, we're going to have five small group leaders here on campus that are teaching you how you can interpret the Bible for yourself, how you can go over thousands of years of different era, different uh, uh, cultures, and different language. And we can understand the Bible in 2021 as believers in Christ. Come back Wednesday night at 6.30 and be a part of that. But you may also um, just need to recognize that uh, that what, this, what Isaiah 55 says is true. Just as the rain and snow fall to the earth and saturate the land, and it brings forth produce and growth. God's word will do the same in us. Church, I've said this a bunch of times because we've been studying the Bible for not just these three weeks, but really a couple weeks before that too. Let's repent of our lack of love for the Bible. Let's repent of, of wanting this instead of this. Let's repent of our frustration with God's word and the times we blame God for giving us such a hard-to-understand book. Because it's good that we have to think and we need the spiritual eyes to see it. Today, let's worship God that not only did he give us his word that we needed and he made that word sufficient to know him and it's enough, but he also made it understandable. Imagine writing a book that ants can understand. Who's signing up for that? That's the kind, like we just we take it for granted that we can understand God's word. Yeah, yeah, yeah. God's big enough. Like that's the gap between us and God. But yet He gave it to us in a way that we can understand it. Guys, this is a big deal. The God of the universe, who is far above everything we think or know, has spoken to us in a way that we can understand, and that God deserves our worship today. This time of response, worship team can come on up. Uh, this time of response, you just use it however you feel led. Right? Like this is an opportunity for you to come and kneel at the altar um, and just voice a prayer like, a, God, forgive me for not reading your word the right way. Like, help me, forgive me for, for just thinking it's under, not understandable and just leaving it on my shelf and not studying it like I should. Um, you can pray right where you are. You can come to this altar and pray. And again, the only thing, there's nothing magical about here up here at the altar, but like people in our church will pray for you if you come up here. If you're praying there, they don't know you are, right? So people in our church will voice prayers on your behalf, even if they don't know your name. If you come to the altar, you can also come to the altar and just lift up prayers for other people, uh, whatever's on your heart. Um, I also want to ask you, though, if you've never trusted in Christ, um, God's word will be Spanish, German, another language to you. But with the eyes to see because the spirit is in you it'll begin to come alive if you've never trusted in Christ as your savior I want you to know he died for you and the whole story of the Bible is because God's wanting you to live here and you can through Christ I'd love to talk with you about that during the song we'll also have counselors by the back door if you feel more comfortable sliding back there 
I'm going to stay up here for the first verse or so, and then I'm going to just slide to the front row. And you can still come talk to me after that. But we just let's worship God today because of his word. I'm going to pray, and we'll stand and sing and respond. Father, we love you, God, and we thank you that your word is true. And God, that we can understand it. God, I pray that you would illumine our eyes every day as we open up your word. God, be with this time of response. If there's anybody here who needs you in any way, God, but especially for salvation, I pray that they would let us know so we can follow up with them and help them trust in you. God, we love you and we thank you for Jesus. And it's in his name we pray. Amen. Let's stand and sing.